say good morning, good afternoon. Praise the Lord. Um, welcome. We are starting a new series today, and our new series is called Doctrine, and it's a, a little series of big words. Remember last week I began to mention it with reference to a book that we're going to be going through. We have them, but you're not going to get them today. Um, maybe not even next week, possibly the week after, because this week and next week is going to be an introduction to our series. <clears throat> and it would be great if whilst we're doing the series, you can be working along through the series in conjunction with the book. Again, I'll talk a little bit more about that in a couple of weeks' time. So, we're doing a little series. It's probably going to be about 14 weeks or so. We're going to take us right up to the summer break, probably towards the middle and end of July. And it's going to be a little bit different to what we're accustomed to. That is, what we normally do here on a Sunday morning, nine times out of ten probably 9.5, of the time, um, is we teach expositionally. So that means we take a portion of the text of the, of the scriptures and we'll work our way verse by verse through the text, a little bit like we did last week. That's pretty much our standard diet. But then there are those times when we will teach topically. So we'll take a topic I'm saying, and um, we will take particular verses from uh, different places in the Bible that contribute to helping us to understand that topic. Now, that's something that we do very rarely, you know what I mean? And it's what we're going to be doing in this doctrine series. And um, maybe next week we'll talk a little bit about biblical theology, we'll talk about systematic theology, and they all kind of relate to those um, methods of teaching, but we'll come on to that. <clears throat> um, but as for today, today we are going to be looking at, as I said, an introduction, and it's part one, and the introduction this week and next week is Doctrine Matters. So it, our series is called Doctrine, and this week and next week we're going to talk about the fact that doctrine matters, and today we're going to talk about the what of doctrine, like what is it, and then next week we'll talk about more the why, or... <clears throat> Um, sorry, excuse me. Today we'll talk about the what, as in, what is it about doctrine that matters? And next week we'll talk about the why, okay, why it matters. Okay, so um, can I take a ch an opportunity to pray? Hey, nay, nay. Hey, Fritters. Father, thank you for our opportunity to meet like this today. Thank you, Father, for your word. And thank you, Father, that your word is heavy. It's extensive at times complicated, but thank you, Father, that your word at the same time is understandable. Thank you, Father, that the entrance of your word brings light and gives understanding to the simple. Father, I pray that you'd help us to understand what can be very Words with great gravity, um, that you'd make them simple for us and understandable, so that, Lord, eventually and essentially, those words will impact 
transform our hearts and change our lives as a result. We pray this, Father, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. So doctrine, we're going to argue, matters. And it's got a bit of a double meaning. It's like we got our marriage enrichment. Bertram mentioned our conference kind of retreat coming up at the end of the year in autumn. It's called Marriage Matters. And I'm saying, and it's kind of, it's got a twofold meaning in the same way doctrine matters. So there are matters of doctrine that we're going to explore and talk about, a multiplicity of different matters within that topic, that theme. But also, we want to say that doctrine matters. It's a big deal. You see the double meaning, right? And um, there's a story about two Australian guys who came over to London <clears throat> and they went to a pub, right, as you do. I mean, they're quite like fosters and all that. There's relationship and that. So they go out to this pub, British pub, and they get, they get lick. They, they both get drunk, and it's about 2 o'clock in the morning, and they stagger out of the pub, and they stumble across a decorated army officer in full regalia, right? He's got on his full uniform. I don't know what he's doing with that at 2 o'clock in the morning, but anyway. And they turn around, and they say, matey, in Australian accents, which I can't do so well, Matey, we're a bit lost. Um, have you got any idea? Is that English? Have you got any idea where, where we are? <laughs> All right, don't worry about the accent. Worry about the, worry about the content. Have you got any idea where we are? This is... Right? So the officer, tapping on the medals on his chest, he responds and he says to them, Matey, matey, he's like, have you got any idea who I am? And the two drunk men... One of them turns around to the other one and says, boy, we're really in trouble now, mate. We don't know where we are, and he doesn't know who he is. <laughs> and that's the place that many people find themselves, you know what I'm saying, in the world in which we live. They don't know really, genuinely, where they are, and they don't know who they are. They don't know who they are, and... And that's if they, you know what I'm saying, if they stop and they ask themselves that question, biblical Christian doctrine responds to both of those issues in terms of where you are and who you are. When it comes to the deep issues of life that people often don't really want to kind of talk about, you know what I'm saying, what do you really believe? You know what I'm saying? And, and then why do you believe it? Just getting a shake. How many of you know doctrine matters? Now, in terms of a, de- a definition for doctrine, anybody know what doctrine means? Like the real simple teaching. Thank you, my brother. Like doctrine basically means teaching. And <clears throat> it's a little bit more than just teaching. What it is, it's a body or a collection of teaching. Right? If you like, a set of, if you like, principles that are collated and that marry and like it says up there, it's a fixed form of recognizable content. And it's, <clears throat> it's a little bit like Marxism. When you hear that and you understand what it means, you know that Marxism carries a whole weight of explanation that further clarifies and defines what Marxism is. It's not just a word. Buddhism, Hinduism, atheism, Within a, and, and, and it's funny because you have these one words that describe a collection or a body of teaching, right? 
um, <clears throat> if I say Christianity, to some degree that de- describes a body of teaching, <laughs> but as opposed to those different um, doctrines that I just mentioned, Marxism, Buddhism, etc., Christianity has its own body, but then there are variables within even Christianity. So then you've got Jehovah's Witnesses, or you've got Seventh-day Adventism, or you've got Mormonism. They all, quote-unquote, fall under the category of Christianity, but how many of you know you unpack those individually, and they have a body of content, you know what I'm saying, Roman Catholicism. It's like, it's funny, when Sometimes when, when I, as a Christian, say, I used to be a Roman Catholic, that throws people off a little bit. They're like, but wait a minute, I thought, I thought, I thought that was the same thing. <laughs> you know, Muslims often, when they hear you say you're Christian, they think what you mean is I'm a Roman Catholic. And that's why they detest so often what we quote-unquote believe. And we have to make this distinction because, <clears throat> if you like, these are fixed Um, traditions often are handed down from one generation of teachers to another generation because it's teaching and this collection or this body of doctrine has to be clarified. Has to be clarified. And, And it's funny because even within a body of what can be categorized similar doctrine, although it's very distinct as we would say, Mad, massive distinctions between Mormonism, you know what I'm saying, and Jehovah's Witnesses, hence the two different specific groups and categories. Um, it's funny because it's nothing new. They say there's nothing new under the sun because we see the same thing illustrated in Jesus' day. So in Matthew 16, we get a great illustration. It says, reading from verse 5, it's up on the screen. When the disciples reached the other side, they had forgotten to bring any bread. Jesus said to them, watch and beware of the what? Leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And they began discussing it among themselves, saying, We brought no bread. But Jesus, aware of this, said, O you of little faith, why are you discussing among yourselves the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive? Do you not remember the five loaves for the 5,000 and how many baskets you gathered, or the seven loaves for the 4,000 and how many baskets you gathered? How is it that you fail to understand that I did not speak about bread? Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Verse 12, then they understood that he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of bread, but of the what? Of the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. So Jesus has got a type of teaching, but he's warning now against another type of teaching. And you'll be like, but wait a minute. But surely they're all talking about God. At a distance, you'd be like, oh, they, you know, here are the scribes and the Pharisees. We know we hear them all the time. Oh, here comes this other guy, Jesus. But at the, same, but, but at the end of the day, they're all talking about God. <laughs> but are they? Mark chapter 7. Can you see that this is describing a body of teaching? Mark chapter 7. We see again something similar. So it says, and, oh. It says, now, when the Pharisees gathered to him, right, with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his, that is Jesus' disciples, ate with hands that were defiled, that is unwashed. Now we're going to get a picture of specifically what it is, at least one of the things that the scribes and the Pharisees believe that make up their body of doctrine, right? 
Verse three, for the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there, were, and there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches, verse five. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, why do your disciples not, not walk according to the tradition of the elders, why don't they walk like us? Why don't they adhere to our body of teaching? Right? But they eat with defiled hands. Verse 6. And he said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as what? doctrines, the commandments of men. Hoy. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. So can you hear Jesus making a distinction between his body of teaching, which he would, he would identify as God's teaching, versus the scribes and the Pharisees' teaching, which is actually the doctrines of men, eating food without washing your hands. Where is that in the Bible? Matthew chapter 7. It's quite a bit of reading. Um, verse 26 to 29 says, And everyone who hears these words of mine um, and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand, says Jesus. Really simple parable. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowd were astonished at his teaching. That's our word, doctrine, or didaskin, or didak. And there are different noun versions and verbs. For he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. Can you see there was a difference? So people are like, oh, he's teaching us something that's different and distinct to what we're familiar with. That is from the scribes and the Pharisees. Matthew 22. Then... The Pharisees went and plotted how to entangle him in his talk. Evidently, there's a distinction between the two, right? And they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians saying, Teacher, we know that you are, notice this, we know that you are true and teach the way of God truthfully. Really? So then why is there a distinction? And you do not care about anyone's opinion for you are not swayed by appearances. He said they're trying to butter him up. Verse 17, tell us then. What do you think? <clears throat> is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus, aware of their malice, <laughs> said, Why put me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. And Jesus said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? They said, Caesar's. Then he said to them, Therefore, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And when they heard it, they marveled and they left him and they went away. Verse 23 goes on, same chapter. The same day, the Sadducees come to him. <laughs> so the Pharisees tried it and they flopped. You know, it's funny because even though the scribes, the Pharisees and the Sadducees agree with each other, generally speaking, 
extensively speaking, they don't agree. Because the Pharisees believe in the supernatural. They believe in a life after death. The Sadducees, they're very liberal. <laughs> so the Pharisees are like conservatives. The, 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 the Sadducees are very liberal. They don't believe in the afterlife. They don't believe in the miraculous. They don't believe in angels. You see later on, Paul identifies that and he kind of throws a spanner in and kind of later on in, in the New Testament. But the Sadducees don't believe in miracles. How you remember the two is, you probably heard me say this before. Um, the, the, the Pharisees believe in miracles. Sadducees don't believe in miracles. That's why they're sad, you see. So that's how you can remember kind of what they believe. But I'm saying that even though they agreed, they disagreed. You know what I'm saying? It's complicated. Now, so the Pharisees tried it, and the Sadducees are like, all right, you lot tried it, all right. Wait. So the Sadducees come, verse 23, and they, who, say that there, oh, it's right there, who say there is no resurrection, and they asked him a question saying, teacher, Moses said if a man dies having no children, his brother must marry the widow and raise up children for his brother. Now, there were seven brothers among us. The first married and died, and having no children, left his wife to his brother. So too, the second and the third, down to the seventh, right? After them... After them all, the woman died. Remember, they don't believe in the afterlife. So they're using this as an example to say, ha ha, you believe in the afterlife. It's all nonsense, right? Verse 28. In the resurrection, the quote unquote resurrection, right? Therefore, of the seven, whose wife will she be? She'll, will, will, whose wife will she be? Ha ha ha, right? For, <clears throat> for they all had her, right? But Jesus answered them, you are wrong because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. For in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. Sorry to mash it up if, you, if you're married and you love your wife and you feel like you're going to be together forever and ever and ever. Actually, you're not. Some of you are like, oh. Some of you are like, praise the Lord. <laughs> erase that, erase that. Um, they'd be like the angels in heaven, verse 31. And as for the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was said to you by God? I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He's not the God of the dead, but he's the God of the living. And when the crowd heard it, they were astonished at his teaching. Here's me trying to give you examples of the distinctions between different categories of teaching. And that teaching is a body. It's a collection. Verse 34 in the same chapter continues, but... When the Pharisees heard <laughs> that he had silenced the Sadducees, they okay, kind of sweet them, right? They gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, although to test him. Verse 36, teacher, which is the great commandment of the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Now, verse 41. While the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them a question, saying, what do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? They said to him, he's the son of David. He said to them, how is it then that David in the spirit calls him Lord, saying, the Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet, quoting Psalm 2, right? If then David calls him, that is the Messiah, Lord, how is he then his son, David's son? And they're like, rah. <laughs> Verse 46, and no one was able to answer him a word, nor from that day did anyone dare to ask him any more questions. You think they got the... <laughs> 
And notice, every comeback, Jesus quotes what? The scriptures. He makes reference to that which God said, where they're like, why are you washing your hands? Don't you know you're not supposed to? And man's like, oh, really? Oh, forgive me. I didn't realize. Would you pray for me? That's someone who don't know their Bible. Someone who knows their Bible says, wait a minute, why, why, why is it wrong for me to eat food and, food and not wash my hands? Excuse me. Where does it say that in the text? And that's the response. Everybody got silence. You hear that silence? That little silence. Can you see two sets of teaching about God, but they differ? Scribes and the Pharisees teaching their doctrine versus Jesus' doctrine or his teaching. This is why doctrine matters. You know, Christianity, as I mentioned, Jehovah's Witnesses, Seventh-day Adventism, Mormonism, Roman Catholicism, and then you've got what came out of what came out of Roman Catholicism, that's not fair. What came out as a result of individuals that didn't agree with Roman Catholicism about four or five hundred years ago? The Reformation, right? A group of people who are like, mm, we're not so sure about this Roman Catholicism business. Like paying indulgences. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like like paying indulgences. You know, paying indulgences, used to have this guy, his name was John Tetzel, and he used to go around the country, actually, I think around Europe, and he used to have a collection box. He was like an ancient faith prosperity teacher, preacher. <laughs> Nothing new under the sun. He'd have this box, and, and he'd, he'd have these things where he'd have um, like, like a little, you, you know, you got those, you, if you're doing an event, you've got these pull-up advert things and you pull them up and they stick up and they got a thing at the back of spine and it stays up and it advert advertises your thing well he had some things that worked the opposite they'd roll them up and then at a certain point in his message when it really got hot and heavy and everyone's like oh everyone's under conviction he'd pull these things and these things would drop down and they'd have the flames of hell on them and people would be terrified and then he'd go into his thing about if you if you if you got family members who died they're potentially right now possibly in hades suffering if you want to get them out like quickly pay an indulgence and his 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 slogan used to be every time a coin in the coffer that's the box every time a coin in the coffer rings ching, a soul from purgatory springs catch the catchphrases ain't nothing new you got a need sow a seed we ain't got time but you get my point right so, John T so my man's going over there and people be like, wait a minute, is that really in the Bible? Is that, is, that re is that what this thing is all about? Cut a really long Reformation story short. Individuals started to read their Bibles and they were like, whoa. And then they began to say, no. Nah. They began to retaliate against what was common and popular knowledge that is Roman Catholicism. They called that the Dark Ages. Because for about 400 years, the Roman Catholic Church had the whole of Europe. Under its, and even extended further, the, the Crusades and so on, under their control. And they used to read the, 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 the is it the liturgy? In Latin. They, they, used to, they never used to read the Bible in a language that people even understood. So if you want to understand it, you'd have to come to the priest and he'd break it down for you. That is his version. <laughs> you know what I mean? He, 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 he wouldn't give you the, 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 the remix. And you had some individuals that said, and they pushed back against it. You had actually a Roman Catholic convert and begin to protest against the Roman Catholic Church. 
and hence the beginning of the Protestant protesters, Protestant movement. And here comes now another body now of teaching that it could be argued actually went back to the original teaching of the apostles and the early church fathers. I mean, and that's the category that we we would fall into if you're part of this church, that you fall into, you know what I'm saying? History. <clears throat> they say one of the things about history is that we don't learn anything from history. Now, if, if we, like them, go back to the original teaching of the disciples, the apostles, let's have a look at <clears throat> possibly what that, that means. So in Acts chapter 2, Starting at verse 36, let me set the scene. So Peter has just preached like the first quote-unquote Christian sermon, you know what I'm saying, in Acts 2. Jesus has resurrected, he's ascended into heaven, the Holy Spirit's come down upon the disciples, they're all speaking in different languages, known languages, and as they, as they begin to, to share, the people begin to respond, and Peter like, he lets them have it, and that's where we pick up the story and he's pretty much accusing them of their sinfulness, and even in a specific sense, a verse. And, and, and what I want you to do is, this is a group of three, sorry, there's gonna be a group of 3,000 that respond to the message, and I want you to bear this group in mind. This, notice this group, right? Verse 36 says, let all the house of Israel, this is Peter, know, um, therefore know for certain that God has made him, that's Jesus, both Lord and Christ, this Jesus who you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And this is possibly made up of individuals who were there when Jesus was being crucified and added their amen to him being crucified, right? And they're, hit, and they're like cut to the heart, they're convicted, and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, like, what do we do in response to this message now? Okay, we killed him, but boy, where does that leave us, right? What shall we, brothers, what shall we do? Verse 38, and Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's good news to sinful individuals, right? Verse 41, so those who received his word were baptized, and they were added that day about how many? 3,000 souls. Can you see there's a specific group of people that you can identify? Otherwise, how do you know it's 3,000? Right? And verse 42, what did they do? They, that group, devoted themselves to what? Not just to doctrine and teaching, which is important. I mean, at the end of the day, everybody subscribes to some kind of doctrine, Right? But this group, they submit themselves to the apostles' doctrine or the apostles' teaching and fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And it's what we continue to do today. How many of you know we're a group? We're actually an identifiable, specifically identifiable group. I'll take that a little bit further in a minute. Now watch the dramatic effect that the apostles' teaching has on this group, even to the point of setting them apart. They actually become a new identifiable collective. Verse 44 continues in Acts 2. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. 
and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple, how? Together. There's loads of people that attended the temple, but oh, there's this group, this next group that come to the temple and they're different. They're distinct from, everyone is worshipping, quote unquote, but this group are different. Can you see that distinction? And, 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 and they attended the temple together, breaking bread in their homes. They, this group, received their food with glad and generous hearts. Verse 47, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord did what? Added to their specific number, right? Day by day, those who were being saved. Can you see this collective, this group growing? And they're identifiable. And can you see how a body of teaching or doctrine has now created this body of people? A body of teaching has created a body of people. Here's a question. What are they collectively called, this group? What would you call them? How would you identify this collective, this group, this category of people that have been created by this body of teaching? I mean, I just said a minute ago, we are exactly the same as them. How do we define that group, this group, us, the church? Or, even as we do more specifically, what do we call our church? Ecclesia. And it means a group that are gathered. But we're a specific group that are gathered for a specific reason, right? Acts chapter 17 to take this even further. <clears throat> now, while Paul, verse 16, was waiting for them at Athens, that's he's waiting for his boys. I think it might be um, Silas, maybe Timothy. He's waiting for some of his boys to come along because they're somewhere else and they're coming to meet him. He's gone ahead of them, right? While Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within, within him as he saw that the city, Athens, was full of idols, so he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons, which is part of his consistent behavior. And in the marketplace, every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicurean and the Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. And some said, what, did the, what does this babbler wish to say? Now, they're talking about, Pete, they're talking about Peter, John. They're talking about Paul, right? They're talking about Paul the Apostle, babbler. He's obviously talking about stuff that they're either not familiar with or they don't agree with, right? What does this babbler wish to say? Others said, he seems to be, notice, a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. This was a subheading, if you like, for the body or the collection of his type of teaching. It's a summary, right? Verse 19. And they took hold of him and brought him to the Areopagus saying, may we know what this new teaching there's our word again, doctrine. May we know what this new teaching, this new doctrine is that you are presenting, verse 20, for you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now, all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. Verse 22, same chapter. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, says, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way, you are very what? So in some way, shape, or form, they have 
a body of teaching that makes reference to the gods, right? For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God, amidst all of the other gods, right? What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. Here comes his body of teaching. Here comes an element or an aspect of the body of his teaching. Verse 24. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by, by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. Verse 26. And he made from one man every nation. There's so much doctrine in here. There's so much teaching in here. You know what I'm saying? He made, that is God, from one man, Adam, every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God in the hope that they might feel their way toward him and find him, a bit like Zacchaeus last week, yet he is actually not far from each one of us. Verse 28, for in him we live and move and have our being. That's actually a quote from the Old Testament. As even some of your own poets have said, Paul's gangster. Paul quotes from the Old Testament, then he quotes from current culture. Like he quotes like a hip hop record. You know what I'm saying? And this is, he, he quotes one of their poets, right? And, he's, and one of their poets says, for we are indeed his offspring. So there's truth even in... You know what I'm saying? In secular environments sometimes. And he quotes that to support his point. You know what I'm saying? Verse 29. And he's just obviously trying to make, um, build bridges um, culturally speaking. You know what I'm saying? Verse 29. Being then God's offspring, right? Summarizing. We ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. It's like we've been created in God's image. Now what we're trying to do is create an uh, God for us in our image. He says it don't work like that, right? The t- he, says that's, he says that's foolishness, right? Verse, verse 30. He says the times of ignorance, like th- th- this foolishness. God overlooked, but now he ain't putting it up with it. He, now he commands all people, not just Jews, all people, you know what I'm saying, everywhere to change the way they think about him. That is to repent which leads to a change in the way they act. Verse 31, because he has fixed the day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this, he has given us a sh- given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. I'm like, it's like, verse 32. And now, well, let me just say this at this point. We... We could literally take the previous 10 verses and unpack a multiplicity of different doctrines within the body of doctrine just in this small portion of text. And we will actually come back to some of the doctrines that are referred to here in our series. I'm saying, maybe you saw them or you heard them as I was just reading it. You know what I'm saying? Verse 32, now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, but others said, we will hear you again about this. So Paul went out from their midst, but some men noticed, some men joined him and believed, 
among whom also were Dionysus the Areopagite and a woman named Damaris and others with them. Can you see how these individuals now, who knows what they believed prior to hearing what Paul believed and what he presented, but whatever it was, they agreed with it. And can you see how they switched sides or at least they became a part of this growing group that we began to describe in Acts chapter 2, that were 3,000, became 5,000 by Acts chapter 4, and continued to grow. This is actually developed further by Paul himself in 1 Timothy chapter 1. I hold up a reading, isn't it? You'd be like, Rah, all this reading, it's all, it's all good. This makes up for all the reading you've never done last week, isn't it? Or last month, isn't it? Or last year, isn't it? I'm in that same category too. I don't read my Bible as much as I ought to. Lord, forgive me. Lord, help us. Amen. He's helping us today. Holy Spirit reading. First Timothy 1, verse 8 says, Now we know that the law... Now watch this. This is amazing. Again, clarifying those distinctions between different sets of bodies of teaching and doctrine. For He says, Now we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. I mean, if you know, there are those that take the law, but they present it in a way that's not lawful, that's not right. No, that's not what the Old Testament means. What, a man wants to eat shellfish, and you want to quote the Old Testament? No, no. That's, you can't use those verses in this context, you know what I'm saying, to stop a man from eating shellfish or eating meat. You know, there are those, like, Seventh-day Adventism, you know what I'm saying? You can't use the, 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 those, those ver- you have to understand the verses in their context. You can't just draw them into the 21st century. What, man wants to get a tattoo? I say it all the time. Don't ask me to get a tattoo because I will tell you straight, no, don't do it. Because in 20 years time, I'll come back and I'll see you and I'll say, I told you. Because you would have changed your mind by then. If not, at least change, the, change your mind on the design. You know what I mean? But I can't use the Bible to tell you that you can't get a tattoo, even though there's a verse that you can go to that literally says you shouldn't mark your skin. I'm saying, you know, we have to, we'll talk about this a little bit next week. It's actually, um, the Bible says, help me somebody. What does the Bible say about rightly dividing the word? Study to show yourself approved, a workman who needs not, or woman, who needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So if it can be rightly divided, guess what? It can be wrongly divided. Right, so, so First Timothy, Paul says, he says, now we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and the disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else, notice, is contrary to sound what? Doctrine. Contrary. It's different and it's distinct. You know what I'm saying? First Timothy 4, he says, Paul says, if you put, again speaking to Timothy, if you put these things before the brothers and the sisters, right, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. And Jude 3, hmm, Jude, such a banging book, one chapter, you know. Verse 3 says, Beloved, although I was very eager to write, remember this, Pastor E, Jude 4, this means a lot to us, this book. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I just wanted to talk to you about Jesus and the fact that he saved us. And 
He says, I find it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith. Why? Because constantly, not just in Jude's time, but also in our time, not just in Jude's time and our time, but you go back to the time of the prophets in the Old Testament, you know what I'm saying, where they had to come out and constantly clarify what was from God and that which was not from God. You know what I'm saying? And he says, I, bro, I, 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 I found it necessary to write appealing to you. You know what I'm saying? To, to, to feel the same way I feel, that is the need to contend for the faith. Again, this is a description, a summary of the body of Christian doctrine that was once noticed, once for all delivered to the saints. You know what I'm saying? And that through, obviously, the Lord Jesus through the apostles and then handed down for the early church fathers and hopefully right up to the point in which we now live. Now going back to going back to this whole thing about like Marxism, Buddhism, etc. Um, I've added two more. So Islam, massive. I mean, let me, actually Buddhism. So you know, you know, Steve Jobs was a Buddhist. You know what I mean? And um, you know, Arsene Wenger is a Buddhist. So more than one reasons. For Venga out. <laughs> um, we'll come back to that. Islam. How many of you know doctrine contributes to demanding transformation in the life of the person that adheres to that particular doctrine? Islam. Dress, if you really want to take it there. You know what I mean? Like, this is 21st century. We're living in London. But you know a Muslim often when you see them. You know what I mean? Not always, but especially when they dress, the language, the book that they read, you know what I'm saying, the Quran, the place that they regularly attend, the mosque, their prayers, even the direction in which they pray, you know what I'm saying, and even their food. What, am I hating? I'm not hating. I'm just trying to clarify the fact that all of these things specifically, you know what I'm saying, are affected because of the body of their teaching, Right? I added football in there. I don't know how, why. Maybe this is a stretch, but like I haven't been to many football games. I've probably been to about four, maybe five football games in my whole life, like proper games. And one of them was Eng I think England was when Jamaica was playing QPR or something way years ago when we qualified for the World Cup and we had some friendlies. I went to a Jamaica game, and then I've been to a few Arsenal games because you know I'm an Arsenal fan, right? I'm a fan. I'm not a supporter because there's a difference. <laughs> <laughs> otherwise I'd be incriminating myself um, but one of the things I noticed like when I went to, when I go to Arsenal games and even when I watch like the, the fan TV stuff like there's this like, there's this body of belief and I, it's funny I look around the room I see Dean Dean's a Tottenham fan now, now technically speaking yeah pray for him yeah technically speaking yeah <laughs> no you know it's pray for us Tottenham are killing it did you not win yesterday by the way oh sorry bro sorry bro sorry I, did, I honestly didn't mean that. <laughs> but if I was a proper Arsenal supporter, I would. Because Arsenal, fans sing, Arsenal supporters sing songs like, we hate Tottenham, 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 we hate Tottenham. We are the Tottenham haters. And if, you, and if you're... Bro, am I lying? If you're, Arsenal, if you're an Arsenal supporter, like, you ain't really a supporter if you don't sing that song. 
like even my son, like sometimes me and Jordan, so my son, he could, he had no choice. He had to be an Arsenal fan, right? So he had been one, he, he, his whole life, he never seen us win any major trophies. But <laughs> so we watch the football together, and and sometimes we watch a Tottenham game, and I watch a Tottenham game, and I'm like, oh, Delhi Ali's quite a decent player. My son's like, what? I'm like, yeah, Harry Kane, Golden Boot man. He's like, what? He's like, Dad, that's Tottenham. I'm like, yeah, I know, son, but come on, you got. He's like, nah, 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 nah. There are tenets and articles of faith that come in conjunction with being a real football supporter. And you want to really take it there. There are songs that they sing. They raise their hands. They, you know what I'm saying? They worship better than proper, like those who are supposed to be worshippers, right? Oh my gosh. They worship. You know what I mean? And they have fellowship and they hug up each other. You know what I mean? And, and they're always filled with the spirit, right? <laughs> I'm telling you. So listen, they pay their tithes. You know how much a season ticket is? Listen. Okay then. All right. You know, it's like, you know, there, are, there, there are things in this life we can enjoy, you know. Like, and I, I, I feel no shame about saying I love football, I enjoy it. But there are limits. You know what I'm saying? There are limits. I don't even, don't even get me started on music. But anyway... Can you see how doctrine defines the list of... Can you see how doctrine, a body of teaching, defines groups of people? Your identity is, is formed on the basis of you agreeing with, siding with that particular collective with which you... And can you see how... how and it does this on two levels... It does this on a personal level, and it also does it on a corporate level. That question, what makes you different to your next-door neighbor? What makes you different to your work colleague? What makes you different to your family member? Or even a spouse, sometimes. Doctrine, that's what makes you different. What makes us meet in here different to those who gather regularly at the mosque on a Friday or those in the pub on a Saturday evening or those at the football ground on a Saturday afternoon or in a Seventh-day Adventist church or on a Saturday down at New Cross at the Kingdom Hall? What, what's the difference? Doctrine. Doctrine matters. And if you, and, and, and if you are a member here, and I, I mean that literally, because you know I'm saying we've got a membership here. If you're a member here, let me give you some of the detailed descriptions that define you as a member, that define us corporately, personally, but also corporately, right? It's like over the next over the next 14 weeks, if you like, we're going to be looking at the fine print of what it means. Sorry. That which is, that which it is, you or I or we believe, that fundamentally make us who we are, personally, individually, but also corporately. You know, we're going to look at the fine print, and um, and we'll look at the fine print. But have a look now, just at the headlines, right? At least for us as a church, right? 
headlines, so Ecclesia, right? We're God's people for his glory. We have a vision. And our vision is to be a healthy church, equipped to disciple. If, you, if, 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 you're, if you're not aware, you've just become a member, you've just started coming, even if you're not a member, this is what really defines who we are. You know what I'm saying? We want to be a healthy church, equipped to disciple, faithful on mission. And essentially, that's what we want to be. That's, what, that's how we want to be identified, right? Um, God's people for his glory. And how we kind of aim to see that vision fulfilled is, um, so that's our vision statement. This is our mission statement. How are we going to see that fulfilled? How are we going to see that outworked well? Our mission, God's people for his glory, spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ throughout multicultural central Lewisham and beyond. There's a lot in that statement. Not time to unpack it now, but just helping you to see this is the headline of who we are. And I'm saying, but what's the doctrine that supports that? Well, that's one of the things we're going to be talking about over the course of the next few weeks through this series, looking at the fine print, right? That which inspires who we are. Doctrine. Doctrine. It's what you believe. What you believe about relationships. You know, doctrine impacts every area of our lives. Whatever it is we believe, whatever you believe is going to be outworked in these things. It's just a short list. Whatever you believe is going to be outworked in your relationships. How you pick your friends, how you pick your husband or your wife, I'm saying, if you pick a husband or a wife, how you raise your children. How and if you care for your parents. Relationships. I mean, you could go, we could go on just about relationships. Art. Your, 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 your doctrine, right, will define what you see as beautiful or what you see as, 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 as ugly as far as art is concerned. What is acceptable versus unacceptable? Culture. Racism, massive issues, multiculturalism and integration, like, are you an individual who comes from a culture that is actually stronger than your Christianity? I could give you details, and I don't have time, but I'm sure you know what I mean. Does your culture sometimes trump your Christianity or vice versa? And, I, and I'm not saying it's easy. This stuff is difficult, you know what I'm saying? Education, evolution versus creation. You know what I'm saying? Gender. Your doctrine will determine how you think and what you... Politics. Are you on the left or are you on the right? Like, imagine, I feel embarrassed to say after all these years, it took me till I got to 50 to begin to begin to understand the difference between the left and the right. Politically speaking, sister's laughing at me. You're right to laugh at Yeah, laugh after me. You know what I mean? But I'm beginning to understand the difference between the two. And it's funny because listening to Ravi Zacharias, Ravi's like, you know, I don't know if you're fully aware at what's going on right now. I mean, politically, I mean, just yesterday, right? Oh my gosh, massive things going on politically. But even politically in terms of um, the issues of pronouns and the use of pronouns, 
and how we refer to particular people and whether or not, whether or not it's right or it's wrong or how it ought to be done. Um, yeah, I definitely ain't got time to try, even begin to unpack that. But politics, and, and what Rabbi basically said is, you know, you can be, po- you can be on, the, on the far left, which I suspect probably most of us aren't, or you can be on the far right, and I'm saying in terms of your political perspective and position, and I hesitate to mention any of them because I know as soon as I mention just one thing, you're going to be like, right, okay, we need to unpack that, we need to talk about that, yeah. You know what I'm saying? And we're going to get maybe polarization even in here on these issues. But I think what Ravi says, get to the point, Robert, is it's one thing talking about the left and the right, but very rarely do you hear people talking about the up and the down. What about those other perspectives that potentially relate to left and right, you know what I'm saying, um, that often are not talked about? And I think it's really important for us as Christians to think about politics. This is not me saying you must vote, and forevermore you must vote for this particular party. That's not what I'm trying to say. But I, f- I think it's really, it's, v- it's really helped me to engage with people in a way that I used to have to back off when it comes to the conversation about politics because I didn't know nothing about it because I, I kind of had my head buried, if you like, in the Bible, which is a good thing. But at the same time, we need to be aware of what the Bible says and be still aware of what's going on in the culture. One of the lecturers at LCM used to call it double listening, being able to listen to the Bible, being able to be being really aware of what's going on so you can engage with the culture. It's difficult, you know what I'm saying? It's really difficult, but um, I think the two are vital and necessary. And then ethics. It's like, you know, how, how do we define good and bad, or good or bad, you know what I mean? H- how do you help someone distinguish between a career selling drugs or a career working at Curry's PC World? How do you help someone to understand there's a difference between the two? <laughs> it's like, <but> it's working. <laughs> what am I saying? I'm saying... Doctrine matters. Doctrine matters. And hopefully I've gone some way in helping to introduce this topic as we begin to unpack it over the next few weeks. Next week will be introduction part two and we'll talk a little bit more about some of the things I've begun to unpack. Amen. I'm going to invite the, the team to come join me. And as they come up, um, could I ask you to be thinking about can I ask you to be thinking about, just for, just for 20, 30 seconds, like, what is it you actually believe? You know what I'm saying? What is it you subscribe to? What group do you belong to? You know what I'm saying? Have you ever, and, and, and that's me jumping ahead. Like, first of all, the question is, have you ever thought about what you believe? Have you ever considered the fact that you are a part of a collective? You know what I'm saying? In some way, shape, or form. Have you ever thought through, what is it, what is it, you know what I'm saying? What is it I will, prop, I, I will actually stand for, you know what I'm saying? Or, will I fall for anything? Do I, have, do I have the capacity to at least argue a perspective? And is that perspective consistent with itself? So t- these are some of the questions that, you know what I'm saying, we're hoping that we're going to answer and we'll be able to say in three months' time, well, you know what? I may not have it down. I may not have it nailed down like, oh, I can regurgitate it at the drop of a hat. But I'm a little bit more familiar what, with what it means to be a part of the church. What it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. What it means to be distinct 
because of the doctrine, the teaching that I ascribe to, that I agree with. I'm going to pray. Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.